I need to ask you to just get your Bibles open, and we're going to jump right into a text this morning. We're going to begin this series, Why Should I Believe You? And I hope that question, those questions are going to be dealt with for yourself, but also for someone that you bring along with you over these next weeks, right through Easter and beyond. Why should I believe you? We need to be able to answer that, don't we? Chapter 1 of Romans, I want to start reading in verse 18. This is actually a pretty ominous text, so pay attention to it, understand what it is saying, and then we're going to talk about it this morning. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul is framing here the greatest news of all time space history, the good news of the gospel. It's in those first chapters of the book of Romans. But you know what? Before the good news can be good news, before redemption is good news, it's bad news, isn't it? Because there is a need for redemption. And these verses that we just read are about what has happened to get us where we are. God can be seen and known, Paul says, in part from the things that have been created. But rather than acknowledging God, mankind has chosen the futile thinking and foolish hearts route. Mankind, he says, has exchanged the truths about God for a lie. And the outcome is that the wrath of God is going to be cut loose and is being cut loose against all this. Wow. Told you it was ominous. This is a biblical description of life and what it's like on postmodern, post-Christian planet Earth when man rejects truth. How are we to live in a place like that? I'm glad you asked that. I want you to go with me on an airplane ride. Hang with me on this, will you? You and 15 other people are packed into an airplane. You take off and immediately start to climb. It's going to take about 15 minutes for it to reach to an altitude of 14,000 feet. And this airplane's main purpose that you're in is for skydiving. 
In fact, that's what everyone on board that airplane, except for the pilot, is there to do. So on your airplane ride, look around the airplane, and what do you notice about everyone in that situation? Why, they are all wearing parachutes, or canopies, as they call them in the business, fluffy, lightweight, horizontal sails that are attached with a series of strong cords, all connected to a kind of backpack thingy that costs thousands of dollars, and each one of those parachutes has been carefully packed by a train packer so that when the ripcord is pulled, the canopy hits that 120 mile an hour wind and instantly unfolds into a perfect wing that will allow you to gently glide down to the earth. You reflect on a lot of things during that 15 minute airplane ride, don't you? Somehow your spouse, your children, your friends have convinced you to get on this airplane with the intent of jumping out of the door. It's a good idea, they tell you. So let me ask you a few questions as you fly along. About that parachute, for instance. Do you believe that it will help you safely back down to the ground? See, the, it's not a question of if you're going to come back down. Everyone who has ever gone up in an airplane has come back down, no matter how they came. Whether you jump or not, you will come back down. The question is, do you believe that the canopy will allow you to come down at a rate of speed that will keep you from becoming a part of the landscape when you land? If not, when the door opens up, we're going to find out, aren't we? Either you believe it's true and you make the jump like you believe it's true or you don't believe it's true and you act like it. Which brings us to the subject of this day. What's true and what isn't impacts the way that we live, doesn't it? What we believe to be true affects how we live, doesn't it? I find myself speaking on this subject of truth over and over. And you know what? I don't apologize for that. I'm becoming more convinced than ever that this is the very basic and important subject that we need to grasp. Is there such a thing as absolute truth, absolute objective truth in life? And can we know what it is? I know before I say anything, by the way, this morning, that my thinking is impacted first by Scripture and then by the work also of Jack Cottrell. And so credit where credit is due. If I repeat something that Jack said, it's because it's really good and it bears repeating. He has spoken and written a lot on this subject and he is far smarter than I am. But first of all, let's get this in front of us, that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Remember three weeks ago discussing the differences between the generations how those cultures need to be reached in one, to one another. This is one of those big differences. When we talk to somebody from a generation or two removed from ourselves, then we need to consider that agreement on this is an assumption that we can't make. Truth used to be simple. There used to be a way of explaining what truth is. It was called the correspondence theory. 
it was, how do you define truth? Well, truth is that which corresponds with reality. If it's real, that's something that is true, right? Another way they would say it was, A does not equal non-A. Okay, I like correspondence, but it corresponds with reality. But that's just not in the mindset of many people age 30 and below. That's not how truth registers with them. A few years ago, Rachel Dolezal wanted to be counted as a part of the African-American culture, and inwardly she considered herself more a, quote, black person than a, quote, white person. She talked about the difficulty of what she called being socially conditioned to be limited to whatever biological identity was thrust upon me. Ultimately, she ended up being the president of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. She stepped down from that position in shame, though, because it became disclosed that she actually is a white person born to white parents, and she had been lying about her ethnic background. When questioned, how could she be a black person when clearly her parents were not? Here's what she said. I haven't had a DNA test. There's been no biological proof that Larry and Ruth Ann are my biological parents. She threw her parents under the bus. She had an interview and said, I am more black than I am white. So on a level of values, lived experience currently, I mean in this moment, that's, that's the answer. That's the accurate answer from my truth. Hey, Oprah Winfrey said, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we have. Yeah, that phrase, your truth, that has become a powerful tool. So you're born to certain parents of a certain background, and you're told that you inherited traits from your parents. Let's throw your gender in there too, by the way. Your genes have a certain configuration of chromosomes that determine your physical appearance. Two X chromosomes means a person is a girl. People in the world needed some help with that one this past week. An X and a Y chromosome means that a person is a boy. And literally every cell, every cell of your body says that about you. It corresponds with reality. Truth. Now, does that mean that you've been socially conditioned to be limited to whatever biological identity was thrust upon you? Or does it mean that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator who knew you before you were conceived in your mother's womb? I find it interesting that the people who deny that truth even exists tend to also be the people who are all about science. What does science say? That's a good question. Isn't the purpose to discover and disclose what is real, what is true? How can science say anything if truth is just going to be a personal conclusion anyway? So what I'm saying is, if there is no such thing as absolute truth, let's stop now. Let's leave. 
Let's save our time. Why spend so much time, so much money on research? Why have a discussion about anything? Why should I care about what anyone says about anything that's important? And why would anything I have to say matter to anyone else? You're on that airplane. You're looking around <clears throat> into the eyes of 15 other people who are also planning to jump out of it. They all seem to think it's a good idea. Does that make it a good idea? Remember what your parents used to say to you about if all of your friends jumped off the cliff? Hmm. You see, absolute truth exists apart from anyone else's opinions about it. Five years ago, there was this big question rolling around on the Internet. It went viral. There was this picture of a dress. Remember that? And the question, is the dress blue and black or is it white and gold? Remember that? And people were split about the reality of the color of the dress. And the fact is, and you can see it here even, it all depends on the lighting. It all depends on your perspective, how it looks. But you know, no matter how you shine the light on it, and no matter what your perspective is, and no matter what you call it, the color of the dress never changes. It stays the same. Opinions by itself, by themselves, don't alter what's real. You know, you can jump out of the airplane. And you can jump out of the airplane singing, I believe I can fly, with no parachute. And you will fly for about two minutes. Truth is that way. No matter what the guy next to you is saying about it, or someone on TV, or someone on YouTube, no matter what they're saying, it exists. Opinion doesn't change reality. Emotions, no matter how deeply you feel about something, don't change reality. When the policeman pulls you over and tells you you are going 20 miles over the speed limit and your brake lights are out, how you feel about that does not change the facts. When the doctor sits you down in his office to go over the test results, how you feel about them doesn't change the results. Life is lived within this framework of natural laws, things that are true, facts we call them. And studying those and building and depending on those is how we landed men on the moon and brought them back. There is such a thing as objective absolute truth. Amen? And that raises a very important question. If that exists, then where do you turn to for this trustworthy information? You live by some set of standards. Everybody lives by some set of standards. They might be wrong standards, but everyone believes some standards exist. Paul writes there in Romans chapter 2, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. That means the moment that somebody says to me, you shouldn't impose your morals on me, that's exactly what they have just done to me. They have imposed their morals on me, haven't they? 
Everyone believes certain things to be true, whether they admit it or not. Everyone lives by a certain set of standards. The important question is, where do you get yours? Where do you get your standards? I don't know much about the spiritual life of Charles Lindbergh, but I did find something from him that showed how he understood something about the importance of truth. Truth is really important, you know, when you're an airplane pilot. Because the laws of physics and the laws of gravity don't change. And you've got to comply with those. The limits and capabilities of an airplane are what they are, regardless of what you want them to be. I wonder how much of that thinking played a role when Charles wrote these words. I saw the aircraft I loved destroying the civilization I expected it to save. Now I understand that spiritual truth is more essential to a nation than the mortar in its city's walls. For when the actions of a people are undergirded by spiritual truths, there is safety. When spiritual truths are rejected, it is only a matter of time before civilization will collapse. So we watch reports coming in from the country of Ukraine 24-7. It is clear that one of the daily casualties of that war in Ukraine is truth. Have you noticed that? Propaganda and misinformation gets used as much as bullets and missiles, and that is partly because those who are spreading that information understand something, that what people believe will shape what they do. Truth and untruth are powerful. You're still ascending in that airplane. Do you believe that a canopy deployed from a pack harnessed to your back will safely land you? If you do, that belief may convince you to jump out of a perfectly good airplane at 14,000 feet. Now, I want us to consider this important core belief of following Jesus. Not only does objective, absolute truth exist, but God's word is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and in his prayer, he says those words to the Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We don't need truth just to get people to the moon. We also need truth for the most basic life functions, for families, for job, for society, everything but politics and media. We need truth. So you have to make a choice. You have to decide what you'll believe and why you'll believe it. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. He said, among other things, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate was not one of those people. And you can almost hear the cynicism in his voice there in John chapter 18, verse 38, when he replies to Jesus, what is truth? Let's face it, it's hard not to sound like Pilate sometimes. What is truth? How can we understand the, the nature of truth and the source of truth when so many distort it or hide it or deny it or say that we all get to have our own version of what is true? If that's something you're struggling with today, I want to encourage you this morning. Ask questions. Take up God's word with your questions in hand and read it. 
Speak with people who have studied God's word and ask your questions. And I would encourage you to listen to the Bible's claims about itself. That, that doesn't prove that it's true, but it would show you that it does claim to actually be God's word to man. In places like 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I would encourage you to listen to the Bible make those claims for itself. I would encourage you to see the way that this book, unlike any other book in all of history, agrees with itself. Written by some 40 human authors in three different languages across all kinds of cultures of a span of 1,500 years, and yet it agrees in one unified story. I'd encourage you to look at the motives of the people who were used to write that book. People who didn't gain from writing it, but most of whom paid dearly for writing it. I would encourage you to consider the reality of what it says. How does this book correspond with history and with science? And I would encourage you to consider the fruit of it. What happens when people align themselves with what it says? And what would happen if everyone in the world aligned themselves with what it says? If you're in an airplane and you know that at some point you're going out the door no matter what, you would probably ask some questions. Question one, may I have a parachute? Question two, you'd be asking, how do I use this? And you'd be asking what to expect. You'd be asking the people around you, are you scared? Are you confident? And why? If you knew you were going out of the airplane, you'd be asking some questions, wouldn't you? You'd probably also ask if the person who packed your parachute was qualified and trustworthy. By the way, that brings me to this third point, and that is that we have God's Word today. There is an area of study that would occupy more than just a couple minutes on a Sunday morning, but it is important for me to say it this morning that we can be confident that the Bible that we have today is, in fact, God's Word. It's not just reliable to begin with because God gave it through reliable people in a process that was God-given, but it is also reliable because it is authentic. We have what He gave us. People who casually dismiss the Bible that we have as authentic often refer to the fact that it's old or the fact that it has been translated or the fact that we're relying on copies rather than originals to establish that what we have here represents accurately what was originally written. You know what? It's true. The Bible is old. Some of it was written by Moses over 3,000 years ago. That's pretty old. The fact that something that old was carefully preserved and carefully passed along ought to tell us something about its importance in the eyes of the people who preserved it, shouldn't it? Many other pieces of important writing are just as old or even older than the Bible, but their usefulness isn't diminished because they're old. In fact, the older those kinds of things are, the more significant they tend to be. Amen? Yeah, the Bible is old. 
I embrace that. Age doesn't mean something's not authentic. <laughs> it's a good thing. <clears throat> it's also true that the Bible has been translated. In fact, it has been, and it is being translated into more languages than any other written work in the world. And those multiple translations over history have proven to be one of the ways that we can establish the reliability of the Bible that we have today. So I'm glad it has been translated. And I am one of those people, by the way, who is very thankful that this Bible has been translated into English, which is the language that I understand the best. So yes, it has been translated. Good thing. And it is true that we're relying on copies of the Bible for us to have it today. Those who copied the Old Testament, by, their way, by the way, were so meticulous. The Masoretic scribes, that they were incredibly accurate. They had numbered every letter of the Old Testament. They could tell you the middle letter of the Old Testament. And we rely on copies of the New Testament too, but the, the number of old copies that exist is more than 24,000. So when those are all laid side by side and compared, and there are misspellings or other variations, we can cite exactly where they are and we can arrive at accurate translations because of it. So yeah, the Bible is made from copies. Here's the conclusion. That is that the Bible corresponds with reality. God's word is true. You can put it to the test and you can count on it. And that's all the time that I have even to address that this morning. The point is, if you really believe, though, that that is important to your life and that's important to your eternity, then you'll do some digging into that word. You won't just allow this most important part of all questions to hang there, finish like some unfinished pro, uh, project lying around your house that you never got to. So here's another question for you people in that airplane headed to 14,000 feet. When it comes time to jump out the door and you refuse to jump, would you expect the people around you to believe that you were confident in the parachute? You see, you can't say that you believe in the claims of the Bible and you believe in the reliability of the one who gave it to us and then when it comes time to jump, stop at the door. Real belief means you'll act on it. Real belief means you'll throw yourself to the wind and you will trust the promised help is going to be there. Amen? If you really believe it's true. So where are you at on this today? That's the big question. See, if you're a believer in Christ and, and you have already said about this book, yeah, I believe that. In fact, I've devoted my life to Christ. Great. Great. Are you daily throwing yourself into his, his care? Are you daily living that out if you believe it's true? Or maybe you're someone who's just been looking into this and you're just asking questions and this is rolling around in your head. Maybe you've got a few more questions that need to be answered before you're ready to go out the door. If that's you this morning, please let us sit down with you and, and help you deal with those. 
Let us take you back to the process. Let us show you how the chute was packed. Let us show you all of the people who have successfully done this. Let us talk to you about the laws of physics and all of those things. I'm speaking figuratively, right? Let us show you in God's word that you can trust that what he says is true. That you can entrust your life to him. If you're ready to do that this morning, we're ready to help you make that decision. Uh, You could be, just like Rosine was this past week, you could be baptized into Christ today. We would make sure that that takes place. Wherever you're at in this, if you need to speak to somebody about your faith, if you're online joining us, we invite you to get in contact with us, cccrockford.org slash connect, or contact us by email or by phone. Uh, Right now on Facebook, we're live. You can type into the comments section, but get in touch with us. God's word corresponds with reality. Let's stand up together. Let's pray as we get ready to have a time for decisions today. Father, thank you for your word. As Jesus said, it is truth. And you haven't left us to face life without the most important questions of life being answered and dealt with. Thank you for that. Especially, Father, thank you for letting us know your heart and your will, that you desire for all people to come to a knowledge of the truth, to be in a relationship with you, and you have made the way for us to have that. So right now, Father, help us decide what we will do with your word. As we consider its direction for our lives, its instruction for what we need to do to be right with you, help us, please, to make choices that will honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.